0: are on the line.
1: Five you're on the line with noah gardner and lance dawn on ESPN 1067 and on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm happy monday everybody thank you for joining us on your overcast
2: monday afternoon lance how you doing today my man remember how i said on air on i believe it was thursday that the flow chart or would work for the super regionals my, my predictions it didn't work so well. It, it, I don't have it right in front of me, but it, it it did not go well. And I spent all day yesterday watching some baseball, and every single team besides Vanderbilt that I wanted to win lost.
3: Your downfall was Arkansas and Ole Miss. The SEC did not perform this weekend
2: like they needed to for
3: your flowchart to work. No. And of course, you states was,
1: on the ropes.
3: Yep. Yeah,
2: and they could they could be eliminated, and uh, I wouldn't put it past them after losing. Not how in the world. Does Arkansas win twenty-one to two, and then proceed to lose the next two games with the best player in the country starting game three?
3: Didn't hit. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Was Kevin Copps did his job, but the bats did not come through. And I still think Copps is the best player in the country. It stinks that they left him out there for one batter too long on Sunday because you know everyone's going to look at the fact they hit a go-ahead home run, the game-winning home run at the top of the ninth off of him, but
2: believe it was pitch 118 or something like that it was insane and he'd already pitched that weekend insane disappointing disappointing (laughs) season for the flow chart
1: y'all thought i was crazy for saying that nc state's hottest team in baseball now look at them all the way to omaha and notre dame on the verge of knocking off mississippi state as well completely correct though in saying that this past weekend in super regionals it's been a wild weekend
2: it really has and you know flow chart may have not done well this weekend but we're gonna get back at it next weekend and we're gonna we're gonna make it work we're gonna make well, it We work. ran
1: out of sec teams almost we have
2: we have and so i guess tennessee's winning it all so tennessee <laughs> or vanderbilt the, the, tennessee is my only hope this is just the whole state come on y'all although legitimately like Honest
1: question, though, which do you trust more, Tennessee or Vanderbilt? I feel
2: more comfortable with Vanderbilt after seeing how well their top pitchers are performing in these games against elite competition.
1: I'm a little concerned with where the hitting's at at the moment. They obviously didn't blow up the scoreboard against ECU this past weekend. Now, ECU's still a formidable opponent, but Tennessee right now, they're as hot as anybody. Talk about NC State, they're as hot as anybody in college baseball, and everybody wanted to make this past weekend about tennessee at lsu they wanted to make it about paul madary and the special run for lsu and tennessee straight up shut that down and tennessee's got the pitching staff but they also have the hitting vanderbilt at times this season has shown the ability to disappear at the plate now they are riding an exceptional effort from their pitching staff right now not just in supers but also in their regional they're riding an exceptional effort and Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter are playing amazing right now my question is across the entirety of Omaha when you're looking at the way that that 18 bracket goes and the double elimination nature of it do they have the depth outside of those guys they have three or four excellent pitchers after that everybody's just kind of good above average could have an off night here and there Vanderbilt's as talented as anybody in the country and they are one of the best teams but I could see someone like if Vanderbilt finds themselves into the double elimination bracket and they're starting to run out of arms I could easily see someone like Arizona or Texas that also found themselves into the elimination bracket that have some bats especially Arizona the way they're hitting right now could find a way to eliminate
2: Vanderbilt
3: what I would add to that is that Lighter and Rocker have even had bad outings this year. Rocker against Georgia, and Leiter's done it once or twice, where you didn't really expect it to happen, but a team comes out and puts up fireworks against them. And that could very well happen in Omaha, especially with their first matchup being against Arizona, who is fourth in the country in batting average. They're not average.
1: scoring 10 runs in a game. They're not happy right now. Right. And yesterday exploded, or yesterday evening exploded against Ole Miss. No doubt about it. In that ball game, when they had a massive third inning. They before before Ole Miss knew it, they were down like thirteen to one in that ball game. That so. was a
2: really sad ball game to watch. That was painful. I was like, Come on, Rebs and
1: I don't know about you guys. I picked Arizona, so um not <laughs> not, not too upset about it.
2: Forget Arizona, man. That's the problem is you, you look at this bracket and uh, Arizona's gonna match up against Vanderbilt first game in the winners bracket to start things off. Again, Vanderbilt's pitching's really, really talented. What what Arizona did to get here was swing the bats well. That's an interesting matchup. Of course, I, I don't know how confident I feel in either Tennessee or Vanderbilt to to get it done. But you know, they both have things that I really like. Whenever you look at this other bracket, we're still waiting, I believe, on Virginia and Dallas Baptist to finish th- finish their game. Mississippi State Notre and then Dame. obviously Mississippi State and Notre Dame to fill out that second bracket. Currently, Texas and Tennessee uh, ha- have solidified themselves in Omaha. That's going to be fun to see uh, who they match up with. But uh, the SEC really disappointed me this weekend.
1: Does anybody have the score on the Dallas-Baptist game right now? That's the team I'm rooting for all the way through to the end. Dallas-Baptist
2: is currently up 2-1 top of the six. You can go watch that one on ESPNU.
1: That's the team I've adopted to win it all, man. That's the team I've adopted.
2: Wouldn't so, that be weird if a non-Power 5 school won, won the end, the entire thing?
1: Well, I've picked them all the way through to this point, and so I'm really hoping that they can squeeze it out against, Cav- against the Cavaliers. It,
3: it was like Coastal Carolina a few years ago. I believe that was a team that did it.
1: Yeah.
3: The, the clears
1: And DBU, they are not anything special on either side of the game, whether it be at the plate or out in the field. They're just gritty. They have found ways to win. Throughout this NCAA tournament, you look back to the Fort Worth regional; they did it by virtue of the bat. But in this series against Virginia, it's been pretty low scoring. They're just gritty right now and finding a way to win. And I love watching that Christian University as well. I'm all for it. I'm, I'm excited to see if, if Dallas Baptist can make it into uh into the into the Omaha.
2: Not number one on the mound. Not number one on the plate. But number one in Noah Gardner's heart. That's right.
1: So I I hope that they can. I hope that they can make it. Also, you know, forget Virginia for the basketball stuff, man. (laughs) Jacob, appreciate the great information as well as always on what's going on in college baseball. Y'all keep me up to date with what's going on in the baseball series between Dallas Baptist and Virginia. Then you got Notre Dame and Mississippi State later on this evening as well in a big one. Duty versus Rudy. One of the best, <laughs> one of the best name, one of the best headlines that you could have gotten for for super regional this past weekend. So I'm lo- I'm loving it.
2: I'm still pulling for state. I'm I, although I don't know whether or not they can actually take that game. I am still pulling for state, very very hard.
1: In college basketball news, Auburn officially signs Kd Johnson. He is now officially an Auburn Tiger as he signed his financial aid agreement with Auburn. What are the Tigers getting in KD Johnson, and do you think he will start? We talked with Christian Clemente about him last week. Seems to believe that KD Johnson is a lock at the two.
2: Well, something that we we were really excited about whenever he did commit to Auburn is we're getting a guy that's going to be incredibly efficient and be incredibly consistent in the backcourt. Again, we've talked about this a little bit before on the show. Thirteen and a half points per game, two point eight rebounds, one point two assists per game, shooting forty three percent from the floor. And he did it in only twenty-two minutes per contest. Usually or usually whenever he was subbed in, it was because Severe Wheeler, who who was out and Severe Wheeler was a really talented point guard for the Bulldogs last season. He obviously transferred to Kentucky. KD obviously transferred to Auburn, but he's going to bring a lot of consistency to this backcourt that didn't really have that last season. Devin Cambridge not shooting the highest clip. Alan Flanagan not in his natural position whenever he played the one or the two. Shreve Cooper wasn't the best shooter from outside. He was able to dish it around whenever he was out there, but towards the end of the season, teams were figuring out how to stop his offensive game and at least make him win it at the free throw line. Auburn's getting another ball handler, and we've talked about this a little bit. Last season, whenever Auburn didn't have a guy that could actually handle the offense and actually dribble the ball around, the offense completely shut down. Having, having somebody like Justin Powell or Alan Flanagan or even, even Turbo Jones, who in my opinion was not a good point guard, out there running the offense, the offense slowed down and was not as efficient as it could have possibly been. You get a guy like KG Johnson, who's a combo guard and can do a little bit of both of those things, I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm happy with him as a scorer. I'm happy with him as a man leading the point if we have to. Of course we have Wendell Green and Zepp Jasper who can also do that, but it's another depth piece at the one, and it's a guy who I believe can start at the two and be efficient. You see guys like Devin Cambridge, who again, I believe, only shot like twenty-seven percent from three last year. I may be wrong on that. I'd have to go check. But he was not he was not the best player to have out there for a forty minutes or to start a game. Of course, Bruce may go. In the first week or so of the season, and say Devin Cambridge because he's my senior, he's my he's my veteran guy. I'm going to have him out there. I'm going to start start him because he's been with the program and he's a veteran. But I think Bruce will shift later in the season to, to potentially having KD start at the two. So I'm with Christian Clemente we talked about this with him last Friday I think we could see Cambridge start at the two again to open up the season but eventually Johnson will take over so yes I think this is a kid that can start and he can definitely start in 2022
1: or 2022 to 2023. Number to call 334-321-1390 whatever is on your mind call into the show we want to hear from you what do you think about KD Johnson will he start do you like this? Are you pumped about it? Are you as excited as we are? We think this is a really good get for Auburn. For me, I see this and I see the trajectory of his career, and he's got four years of eligibility left in college basketball, and I see the future of Auburn's backcourt. He's at six foot one, one hundred ninety pounds. That's still undersized to make it to the NBA, even as a point guard. Now you can, if you're an exceptional point guard in college basketball especially if you can score away from the basket if you can shoot the three really well even at six foot one 190 pounds especially when you're as athletic as KD Johnson you're as quick off your first step as we saw with him at Jordan he's got the ability to get to the bucket if you've got all those things then you can make it but so much about making it to the next level in any sport unfortunately in this day and age and I don't always think it's right but it it typically is a good indicator it has to do with your measurables and Katie Johnson's a little undersized to make it to the next level at the point guard position but it can be done at six foot one it's not like he's Jared Harper it's not like he's Sharif Cooper it's not like he's below six feet tall he is still six foot one and he's filled out too He's, 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 he's pretty built so I look at his trajectory though and I see that he is a little undersized and I think that could keep him parked in college for a little bit I think that could see him stay for another two years at Auburn. I don't think that he's going to put up enough of a season this year with the cast that is around him like Alan Flanagan and Jabari Smith and then a ball-dominant point guard position with Zepp Jasper and Wendell Green. I don't know if we see him put up enough of a impact this season at Auburn to get himself onto the draft radar to get drafted this upcoming year. Could he get drafted down the line? I think so. I I think it could be around his junior season before we see him actually become a serious enough prospect. And even still at that point, I see more of a second-round player, and I don't know if his draft stock ever increases past that. It's kind of funny. Auburn folks are now becoming accustomed to when they get a player thinking, oh, when is this guy going to declare for the NBA draft? When is this guy going to take off? It's gotten to that point, and I think when you look at Auburn's roster right now, The fact that they've got two guys that have gone pro off of this previous team, Sharif Cooper and JT Thor, and both of them, I'll be real, I think are going to get drafted in the first round. See, both of those guys go. You see before that, Chumo Okiki and Isaac Okoro and the Jared Harper went the same class with Chumo Okiki. You're just getting used to losing one or two guys every year to the draft, even not just graduation, but to the draft. You're getting used to losing that. Folks are now beginning to wonder about that for a lot of players And down the line, Katie Johnson, and and players are beginning to do that too, though. Players are beginning to use the NBA system the way I think that they should be using it because the NBA is affording them this opportunity to go and test the waters and actually get advice. You should declare. If you're serious about going to the NBA and you had a good season, declare and get advice and see where you're at. And then if you like what you hear, then stay in. If don't, come back. I love that the NBA provides that. Eventually, I think that the NBA is going to change their rules to allow kids to leave after high school, and that will probably keep guys parked a little bit longer in college than what we're seeing right now, but at least there's this fallback opportunity, unlike there is in college football, for players to get an NBA-approved agent, test the waters, and then come back if they don't like the way things unfold while they're working out for teams and they're getting advice and whatnot, they can still come back. So I like that. And I think we see KD Johnson probably do that after this season. But then I think he'll come back. And you probably got another two, three years, maybe even four years out of KD Johnson. So I see a future player for Auburn that's not only really good right now. You talk about efficiency, 13.5 points per game and what, 22 minutes a game last year, 22 and a half minutes per game last year across 16 games. And he did that as a freshman who missed two thirds of the season. You can already see the trajectory of his career in college basketball. You, you can see it take off, especially here at Auburn in a play style that is going to fit him a little bit better than maybe what he had at Georgia
2: yeah I agree with you I think Katie Johnson's probably going to be with the program for at least another two or three seasons I'm not so much concerned as to what he's going to be able to do to get to the NBA but I'm more concerned about understanding that he is going to be a long-term prospect here at Auburn and thinking okay what can he do to improve his game in the college world because last year he was efficient somebody that I that I look to kind of compare him to even though I believe that they're very different players is in terms of projection is Javon McCormick, something that I saw from him in his first year with the Tigers was efficiency. He shot 52% from the floor and he shot 50% from three. That was in a limited backup role. What did he do when he finally got the starting job? 38% from the floor, 30% from three. He was way less efficient whenever he was was shooting the ball at a higher volume. I really hope that we don't see that with Katie Johnson and I agree with you. I don't think we will because we talk about mouths to feed on this roster he's not going to be one of them a ball dominant point guard you've got alan flanagan at the three who who is who is the leader of this team essentially right now jabari smith who is an nba draft pick he's going to be getting he's your a lot number of touch- one mouth defeat right he's going to be getting all the touches and then walker kessler who wants to run the floor shoot the three and do a lot more than what he did during his time at north carolina so i think they're going to put him in in a, in a starting role but he's going to be a reserve as far as like where the scoring output comes from and if he can stay stay limited on the amount of shots he's he takes I think he'll stay consistent I think he'll stay efficient and projection wise I don't see him as an NBA draft guy again you go you talk about his size six foot one 190 that's not necessarily desirable in the NBA but he's somebody that can really make an impact in the college game and that's what I'm looking for here He's, he's, he's a really good long-term college prospect. He's not somebody that I'm trying to build up into the NBA. He's somebody that I'm trying to get on this roster and to build chemistry with some of these guys, guys that are going to be here long-term because he's going to be here long-term as well.
1: I think he's going to be a mainstay in that backcourt for, for quite some time, and, and that's a good thing for Auburn. It's something that we haven't talked about whatsoever. Bruce Pearl loves this. Although Bruce Pearl I feel like has talked about more as an offensive mind, as one of the better offensive coaches and one of the better offensive team builders in college basketball, he starts his best defenders And KD Johnson averaged 1.9 steals per game last year. He's a tenacious defender. He's a guy that'll get your face for lack of a better word here. Um, it, it, it's kind of, a, he could be a pest to opposing guards, right? He's going to be in their face. He's always going to be around them. He's always going to be looking to pick their pocket, I, I don't want to compare him to Patrick Pat be- Beverly yep. <laughs> of the NBA, but because Patrick Beverly definitely lacks on the offensive side of the basketball, right? And Patrick Beverly is, is really not a well-liked player in the NBA either, whereas KD Johnson, very likable player, and he's definitely got an offensive side of this game. If anything, that's the upside that you see in him. He just happens to also be a tenacious defender that can pick your pocket and go for two steals a game across the entire season. And that was, a, that was as a freshman. So that's something that I think this Auburn team will take advantage of and it's going to allow them to get out and run just the way that Bruce Pearl wants them to. Auburn's got long defenders. Auburn's got a long team. Maybe not necessarily a point guard. Zep Jasper, though, you talk about him. He was an all-conference defender at College of Charleston. Wendell Green Jr., I don't think that you brought him in for his defense, but Zepp Jasper, great defender. You've got Katie Johnson can defend. Alan Flanagan, long he can defend. That's honestly what he came to Auburn best at was being able to defend. Jabari Smith, I don't know how much longer it gets than being 6 foot 11 at the power forward position. And then you got Walker Kessler, 7 foot 1. Auburn is extremely long. And then you talk about how they shot block in the paint. Auburn this this is some of the most long Auburn teams we've seen ever.
2: Yeah, I believe it was the seventh tallest team in the country last year that we had and you're bringing in a 7 foot 1 guy and you're bringing in a 6 foot 11 power forward. I mean, it's just going to be insane. And early on in Bruce Pearl's tenure, it was it was about shooting the 3 and getting out in transition and and being a high-octane team. I think we're going to continue to see that, but it's interesting to see how the recruiting style has shifted and now Auburn's bringing in some of these really really tall guys to come in and shoot the 3. You talk about next year's class, the only guy that's actually committed to Auburn is Sage Tolentino who I believe is seven feet tall Auburn's getting these guys that can protect the paint and can score in the paint and can run the floor at six foot eleven seven feet tall it's it's interesting to see how how the game has shifted for Pearl and I think we are going to see Auburn get out and transition and shoot and I'm not saying that this team is slow but I think it's going to shift just a little bit and Auburn's going to play some incredible defense this season
1: you know an interesting statistic about this Auburn team from last year they had 6.7 blocks per game to their 6.3 steals per game. They actually had more blocks per game. You don't see that too often. They had more blocks per game than steals per game, ranked first in the SEC in blocks and last in the SEC in steals, at least in SEC play statistics alone. 6.3 steals per game is not getting, is not getting it done. And I'm sure that's something else they probably saw in Katie Johnson. Like, yeah, this guy's going to help us out on the defensive side of the, the floor because... Bruce Pearl teams like to get on run they like to force turnovers and last year they just didn't do that and I think that significantly hampered Auburn's defensive efforts
2: yeah you actually look at a guy like Wendell Green he actually averaged 1.6 steals per game so Auburn went out and got they've got guys right now that can protect the rim but they I'm not again I'm not saying they're slow but they don't have guys that can pick pick somebody's pocket they brought in two guards this season that can do that they're overall like all around Auburn's got a very solid basketball roster
1: we start a new series called auburn schedule analysis on the other side of this break we take a look at the akron zips when we come back you're listening to on the line back on on the line noah gardner and lance Dahl with you jacob hillman behind the controls for us on the monday edition of on the line starting a new series auburn schedule analysis we're going to take a look at every single opponent on auburn football schedule in 2021 all 12 of them we're going to do a detailed breakdown for each team today it was pretty easy Akron zips Auburn's 2021 opener last season went one in five in a condensed MAC season solid on MAC opponents the only team that they beat was the team that didn't win a single game in the Mac last year and that was Bowling Green and they beat them 31 to 3 so man and, and I look at Bowling Green, and Bowling Green only returns nine starters across the whole football team. So Bowling Green's going to be in a pretty tough boat this upcoming year. But we wandered into Maxion territory to learn a little bit about the Akron Zips. And what I came away with was strengths, nothing. Weaknesses, everything. Lance, take it away.
2: Well, uh, there's there's not a whole lot to say on the surface outside of what you just said right there. No, I mean, whenever you look at Vanderbilt in the past and you'll see like, "Oh, oh, that's a two and ten to oh, and you see all the numbers and stuff, then it's just like, "Oh my goodness, they lost what how much did they give up to Kent State, 69 points. This is a this is a bad bad football team and they are breaking in a new head coach that that is in his second year, Tom Arth, who is one in 17 at the akron zips that's um this is one of the worst
1: programs oh and he got his only win last year let's go this is one of the worst programs in college football if not the worst
2: they averaged 17.2 points per game they gave up 41.3 points per game last year they were top 40 in pass defense let's go 211 yards per game gotta make an amendment there they
1: averaged 17.2 points per game last year did I not they, say that you said seven oh 17 points is there a I'm big sorry. difference between the two not really not but. really
2: <laughs> my mistake but they, they're bringing back a, a quarterback in Cato Nelson who has been there from 2000 and since 2004 it's not half bad he's been there for forever and he's he I agree with you he's not half bad and I think you mentioned he was injured last year and he's probably going to be starting for the zips this season over Zach, Gib, Zach Gibson who uh in in his time last t- season with the zips in those six games did not play incredibly well of course f- four touchdowns to five interceptions how much better does it get for an Akron team that went one in five and gave up what 41 and a half points per game you know it's 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 really tough to to assess this team because the only things that I can see are just bad And the if I if I were to point out a bright spot it's that they do bring back 16 starters and they're 31 31st nationally in returning production but do you really want these guys coming back after what happened last year
1: entire offensive line is back but four of them are second year freshmen because last year didn't count so that's a point in their favor maybe the offensive line's a little bit better this year but you look at the defensive side of the ball I'll take a stab at that side gave up over six yards per carry some of the better teams on their max schedule ran all over them last year Tank Bigsby will probably I, I hope he's out of this game by midway through the third quarter but as much as much fun as it would look to have Tank Bigsby go for over 200 yards in this game probably not great for his longevity. I think I'd like to see him, you know, hopefully this game's way out of reach by the time you get to the midway point of the third quarter, and then you can get some of these other running backs some touches.
2: Are we ready to say this is a Sean Shivers flex game? Is
1: is, is it happening? Is this it could happening? Be Sean Shivers. The, the, honestly, this probably should be Sean Shivers best rushing game of the season.
2: Has he ever broke 100 yards in one game?
1: Jacob, research department on it, my man.
2: I would imagine, but I don't know for sure i'd have to go i'd have to go look but i I don't believe he has but if if he has or if he is not this is the game
1: 100 percent. i just don't see a reason to have tank bigsby out there for longer than two and a half quarters and my reasoning for that is yes you want to get him acclimated to contact you want to get him acclimated to a new football season so this is your opportunity to do that but it's also not worth the risk and it's not worth putting or or taking some of the tread off the tires for the 2021 season by having him put up gaudy astronomical numbers. Jacob, you got it? In
3: 2019,
2: Sean Shivers ran for 102 yards against Kent State. Whoa. Another Mac team. Another Mac team. Here yeah. we go. <laughs> the stars are aligning, boys. And in 2018, he ran for 117 against Alabama State. So, yeah, exactly. Whenever Auburn plays these bad teams, he should run for over 100 yards this game. Sean Shivers might score on every touch, honestly. <laughs> it, could, it could be ugly, boys. It could be ugly.
1: So, yeah, Akron, not good.
2: Hammer the over.
1: We'll do Alabama's first game against Miami, a much better football team. We'll, we'll, we'll do that to start off hour number two. And we'll, we'll keep going each day looking at Auburn's schedule. Tomorrow. We'll be taking a look at Alabama State. You're listening to On the Line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: 30 minutes through the Monday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board with us. We were just doing our Auburn schedule analysis, and you have something to add.
2: Yeah, so in case y'all thought, oh, well, y'all are just kind of talking surface-level stuff and you're just being negative on Akron, I really I want to take a one-second deep dive to show you just how bad this team is. This this uh, this num- statistic right here is from Athlon Sports. The Zips surrendered a touchdown on 45.9% of opponent possessions. Second worst nationally, only behind Bowling Green, who Akron beat 31-3. Just want just to wanna throw that out there. Uh, it's 46% of the time. If you ran a play, you scored a touchdown against the Zips. Auburn's probably going to score 90% of the time. It's, <laughs> it's going to be bad. If Anthony Schwartz was still at Auburn, they'd literally just like oh, throw it deep. Yeah, what we scored we got the ball back throw it deep it's another touchdown why even cover
1: every day or at least we're going to try to do this every day depends you know if there's breaking news or something like that but every day as a part of our off-season content going to do our Auburn schedule analysis going to take a look at every single one of Auburn's opponents on the 2021 schedule of course the next one tomorrow is Alabama State and then we today we did Akron so give us a couple days we'll get to Penn State and it'll be a a lot more substance to it but early on the schedule's a little a little light for Auburn
2: I was about to say if Kent State scored 69 Auburn's going to score a million but in their four games Kent State statistically actually led the country in points per game at 49.8 they played four games they went three and one and obviously their season high was 69 points against Akron but Auburn should still score a million (laughs) <laughs> you think about that crowd you think about how badly Auburn's going to want to get out there and just play football it's going to be it's going to be brutal
1: that's something that I want to ask you real quick do you think with that atmosphere and we know it's going to be electric with it being the first home game the first full capacity home game in over two seasons now or or it'll be have been two years ago do you think that that is going to do do you think that guys are just going to come flying around making the exceptional plays there's not going to be any rust of course there's rust always in a first game of the season but do you think guys are going to be so amped up that they play better or do you think it could be cause for mistakes?
2: I think for these SEC teams against Group of Five schools, it's going to be cause for the Group of Five school to make a mistake simply because of the atmosphere. I think the SEC teams in this first week, whenever they play cupcake matchups, are just going to destroy. It doesn't matter whether or not the SEC teams are focused or they've got so many jitters they can't stand straight. Auburn and and, and these teams that are playing cupcake matchups are going to blow these teams out of the water you saw what happened for Mississippi State uh, for these past couple of baseball games against Notre Dame I believe they set the NCAA record for largest crowd in super regional history but Notre Dame's handled it they've handled it well but that's a that's a that's a legitimate power five-ish school that's a really good baseball team Akron will fall apart against Auburn I thought the same thing about
3: what if Auburn comes out kind of too fired up but you know, after last segment, hearing about how awful <laughs> Akron is, I don't think it matters.
2: I think emotionally Akron's just going to fall apart. Right.
1: Other question here to you then. Offense or defense first? I have a clear answer here. Without a doubt in my mind, I want to be on defense first. Defense first. Because I cannot wait to hear the first thunderous roar of a sack, a turnover, just a place going wild. Because someone got depleted. I, I don't know what it has to be, but it, it, it feels like I, I'm thinking back to 2015 uh, Chick fil A kickoff opener against Louisville and the Trey Matthews interception, mm-hmm. how loud that building got. And then you maximize that at Jordan Hare because it's an all Auburn crowd. And then, of course, there were much louder moments at Jordan Hare Stadium, of course. But I'm just thinking back to like first games. Auburn was on defense in like the first thunderous roar of a college football season for in an Auburn game, and that 2015 Chick-fil-A kickoff game stands out to me. I want Auburn on defense, no doubt about it.
3: Give, give me young chalk on that first third down. Best third down song, play it. Maybe the whole game. Maybe the whole game, honestly.
2: <laughs> What's going to happen is Akron's going to run like a speed pitch to the left or something like that, and the guy that catches the ball is just going to get rocked as soon as he catches it remember that 20 I think it was 2018 Arkansas whenever I I don't remember who laid the hit on that speed back who caught the pitch but he was just absolutely destroyed at the line of scrimmage it wasn't Javaris Davis was it I don't remember I don't remember I'd have to go back and look but there in that in that 2018 Arkansas game Auburn laid some hits I know exactly what you're talking about and I think you're gonna see some of those in this opening game against Akron
1: so without a doubt I want Auburn on defense first against Akron but other teams may not feel that way. Other teams may want their offense out there. I think the strength for Auburn would be... Also, imagine this. If the offense went out there, it does not score a touchdown, a touchdown on that first drive. Everybody's thinking, oh, here we go. Mm-hmm. And, or maybe just something bad happens. Maybe they have to punch. You're just like, all of the air gets let out immediately. The defense can build up a fever pitch in Jordan-Hare. A lot easier, I feel like, than the offense.
2: I, I completely agree. If it's like 3 nothing after, after the first quarter, that place is going to be dead. It's going to be a lot of people, people are there. are going to be so disappointed. It's just going to be really, really upsetting. And immediately, Auburn fans will jump to the conclusion. It's like, oh, this team's going to be terrible. Oh, Brian Harsin's <laughs> not making this happen. Bo Nix ain't focused and having fun. Like Everything's going terrible. But And then Auburn will win like 42-7. to And then everything will be okay until we play Penn State which I don't know how that matchup is going to go because, again, you talk about crowds being a huge factor in 2021. That's going to be interesting to see how Auburn and Bo Nix handles that on the road. But for this game against Akron, Auburn should handle business. And if they can can, can settle down early, because there will be jitters, there's no question about it, they'll win and it'll it'll be brutal. We only
1: got like five minutes to talk about this on Friday with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. And the question that I asked is, and this was based off of a Cole Kubelik tweet, he put up a graphic of all of these different odds for teams to win their individual conferences. If you had $10,000 to put on one non-favorite to win their conference, conference, who is it and why? We want to hear from you, 334-321-1390. Whatever's on your mind. Love to hear an answer to that question. Which side of the ball would you want to see Auburn out on first in this college football season? Whatever is on your mind, we want to hear from you. Once again, 334-321-1390. But like I said, I want to revisit this question. If you had $10,000 to put on one non-favorite to win their conference this season, who is it and why?
2: I'm going with the Indiana Hoosiers, and I've got a couple reasons for it.
1: That is a hot take, but it seems to be well-cooked, and I'm looking forward to it coming out of the oven.
2: Whenever you look at the the production returning on their offense, I don't have the statistical numbers in front of me, but you look at their starters. They bring back eight starters on their offense, including their second leading receiver and their starting quarterback, and then they have nine players returning on a defense that gave up 20.2 Points per game. That was 19th nationally. That was only fourth in the Big Ten. You talk about the SEC uh, playing playing some legitimate defense, and this year them falling off. And you think about the Big Ten and their ability to play defense. They stayed consistent in 2020. Okay, they were playing some legitimate defense out there. They were they were making stops and and they were they were hitting people. Look at Indiana and what they were able to do last season. They beat Penn State. They beat Michigan. They beat Michigan State. They, they beat Wisconsin, and then they lost in a really close game to Ohio State. That was a, I watched the entirety of that game. That was so fun. I loved it. Indiana gets Ohio State at home. You talk about what Indiana did really well last year to make Ohio State struggle is Indiana threw the ball around the yard really, really well. 250 yards passing per game for Indiana. That was 43rd nationally. I think that's going to increase. I think Ty Freifogel, their, their senior receiver, is going to have one heck of a year this season. Fun name. You get Ohio State at home, and you get them without a secondary, and you get them with a freshman quarter, quarterback. This is going to be that game that Ohio State loses that everybody goes, and they go, what? Why did, why, did they, why did they lose that game? But it's going to be a little bit more realistic because Indiana's winning the Big Ten this year give me all give me all the money and let's put it on the Hoosiers you look at their schedule they start the season off at Iowa that's scary real quick
1: question to you taking this hypothetical out because we've made it where you can't choose the favorite let's take the money out of the situation let's ta- let's take that restriction where you can't choose the favorite do you still say Indiana wins the Big Ten
2: where I cannot choose the favorite to No, win the- you
1: can choose the favorite see in our hypothetical here that we're talking you can't choose the favorite you had to choose someone that's a non-favorite, right? But take that out. I want your honest prediction. Are you that like are you that high on this Indiana team to win the Big Ten?
2: I was I was big on them before odds came out to to be really good, and like then I was in the at middle their, of the
1: pack of the odds.
2: Yeah, and then you look at their schedule and you look at how it lines up for them. I don't want to I don't want to pencil it in. or I don't want to say I'm locking it in or what or whatever. But this team could make some noise this year, and if I did, did have to pick between Ohio State and Indiana right now, I'd go with the Hoosiers.
1: What scares me about Indiana right now, going back to our hypothetical and why this would not be my team, and, and I love the hot take. Like I said, it's well-cooked. I'm ready for it to come out of the oven, and Indiana being good in college football has been a great arrival in college football the last couple of years. I actually really enjoyed that there's someone else in the Big Ten that that is shaking things up rather than the, than the normal – than the normal teams that do it every year but that's what scares me about them actually because Michigan State's down Wisconsin had a relatively down year last year Michigan was horrible last year Penn State was down last year and they benefited from that they were a big part maybe of Penn State being down but they still only edged them barely in overtime in that insane play with the two-point conversion they barely edge out a down Penn State team they Rutgers was around in that ball game and it made us think that Rutgers was a pretty good team for some reason last year but Rutgers is improving a little bit Michigan obviously down I expect them to probably be a little bit better this year Michigan State can't be as awful as they were right and then Ohio State despite the fact that they probably have one of their worst secondaries that they've had under this new regime and then also that their quarterback situation is now more uncertain than we've seen it in over a decade, maybe even 20 years. They still have better players than Indiana, and a lot of times that talent wins out. I've just seen the supposed small underdog team that everybody believes, man, this team could this team could take down Ohio State and then Ohio State doesn't trip up to them and the team that I look at a lot of times is Northwestern. Northwestern's had a couple of teams like that. They just Ohio State's never lost. And so it, I have a hard time getting there. But I'm with you. This is a fun Indiana team that Penix Jr. can get back to where he was at prior to his injury that he sustained last season. This is a fun Indiana team, and I see no reason why they can't win nine games.
2: Yeah, I can I can definitely see them winning nine games, and the question is whether or not they can get past that. Right now, I believe they can because, again, you talk about how these teams were down last year. I think some of these teams are going to carry over and still be bad this year. I don't like think, Sparty. Exactly. I don't think Michigan or Michigan State are going to improve dramatically so to where they, they go and then they beat Indiana. I think Indiana still has a really good good chance in those games, and I believe they're going to win. The schedule, though, I'm looking at all these different teams. They have to play Penn State on the road. They have to play Maryland and Michigan on the road. They have to play at Purdue. Those are, those are tough games for a team like Indiana. But again, these teams were, are, are down and they're trying to come back up. I believe Indiana can steal one or two games here and there, and then they can beat the teams that they should on the road. They have to play Cincinnati they have to play at at Iowa that's really, really tough, but I believe Indiana can do it because they bring back production. they bring back a team that went toe to toe on the road in Columbus against Ohio State and they get them at home this year i I right now right now with not knowing anything about Ohio State's quarterback situation and who they're going to go with and not having not seen them on the field. I would go with Indiana as my favorite to win the Big Ten just based off what I've seen from Ohio State and what I've seen from these other teams that are usually really good that are, are suffering these past couple of seasons.
1: The team that I'm going to select here before we go to break, and I only touched on it a little bit last Friday, UCF right now, not the favorite to win the American Athletic Conference, Cincinnati of course, but it's so hard to repeat if your name's not Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson those three teams of course repeat year in and year out Oklahoma as well but it's so hard for these group of five teams to repeat because they're just not built the same way the talent level in the American Athletic Conference is much much lower than it is everywhere else and now Gus Malzahn is adjusting from the best football in all the land coming down now to the American Athletic Conference where everyone's beatable right, and where they have every bit as much talent the way that UCF is recruited compared to everyone else. If not, they're more talented than Cincinnati on the offensive side of the ball, not the defensive side of the ball. Of course, UCF was one of the worst defenses in college football last year, giving up 33.2 points per game. But on offense, they ranked eighth nationally with 42.2 points per game, and they bring back the core of that. Their entire offensive line is back. Their quarterback, Dylan Gabriel, is back. And you talk about a guy who could be a dark horse Heisman candidate just because of numbers alone. If you're going to choose a group of five quarterback to fit that bill, we saw McKenzie Milton in that conversation several years ago. Why not Dylan Gabriel? with his dual threat ability and he's not just dual threat run first he's dual threat pass first he can throw up a 3,500 yard passing season I believe that's what he did last year and 30 plus touchdowns and all of these just gaudy numbers he's got back his leading receiver who was only a freshman last year and Jalen Robinson who we're going to see improve from his freshman to sophomore year he brings back his leading rusher and bentavius Thompson oh by the way he adds Mark Anthony Richards to his backfield all of this SEC talent that Gus Malzahn has imported from Auburn to UCF is now at UCF in the American Athletic Conference and now sneakily UCF may be the most talented team in all of the American Athletic Conference and the team with the target on its back is clearly Cincinnati the game just got easier for Gus Malzahn I don't see any reason why he can't go and handle business at UCF this year now will he be able to sustain that down the line well that, that goes to figuring out if Gus Malzahn really is a great team builder and a great program sustainer as a head coach. We've only seen that at one location, and it was pretty much just consistency at its finest, but consistency at its finest was four losses every season, every season at Auburn. If that turns into three losses every year at UCF, I just think he's a, an above-average coach in college football and UCF will be very happy with 9-3, and 3 and he can golf in, in Central Florida, and he can go to Disney World and enjoy Orlando weather and all that good stuff. That'll be good enough at UCF. That won't be good enough at most top-tier college football programs, which I imagine he wants to get back to, but I think he wins a conference championship at UCF this year, and I, I, I think he gets dangerously close to a college football playoff appearance if... He's able to go undefeated. And, and a lot of that centers on can they beat Boise State in week one, which I definitely think is a real possibility.
2: Jacob,
3: you got something to say? Big update from the Columbia Super Regional.
1: So this is Dallas Baptist, Virginia. We got a score update.
3: Yeah, and uh Virginia's trailing two to one in the bottom, seventh, two outs, spaces reloaded, and hurt me. Kyle Teal of Virginia with a big grand slam for the Cavaliers what to lead five with, to two.
1: What is it with Virginia players with the name Kyle trying to hurt me? <laughs>
3: Big swing of the bat, center field, and you should have seen uh, in the sixth inning, Dallas Baptist player hit one to center field, bat flipped the heck out of it, and got robbed of a home run.
2: Mm.
1: He oh, so it was over the wall. Dude jumped up. And yeah, caught it. it was a robbery. Oh, no, how many were on base at that point?
3: It would it would only have been a solo shot, I think. But yeah, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't. What's the score? Five to two, Virginia in heading to the eighth inning.
1: Man, man, this is this is tough. That's a tough way to go out. Especially with how gritty this team is. This hey, is kind of like what Levi said during the NCAA tournament. You'd have to, uh, who, who's UCLA's coach again in basketball? Why Mark, are, Mick Cronin. Yeah, you'd have to kill Mick Cronin to beat them. <laughs> Same thing, you've got to kill Dallas Baptist to beat them, right?
3: Well, hey, they still have two innings. they got six outs. We'll see. We've
1: got to take a quick break here on All the Line, and when we come back, we'll wrap up our number one. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some movie selections for this evening. Shooter is on AMC at 7. Superhero movie with Spider-Man Homecoming on FX at 7. Melissa McCarthy stars in Spy on FX Movies at 6.40. Rom-com with He's Just Not That Into You on Pop TV at 7. And live sports, two NBA playoff games are on TNT. After stealing Game 1 in Philadelphia, the Atlanta Hawks have fallen behind 2-1 in the series. Game 4 is in Atlanta as the Hawks and the 76ers square off at 6.30. The Utah Jazz are 2 1 of the Los Angeles Clippers as they go to game four on at nine. And then HL playoffs since game one of the Stanley Cup semifinals between the Montreal Canadiens and the Vegas Golden Knights at eight on NBCSN. And the MLB, the Chicago Cubs, and the New York Mets play at six on ESPN. The U.S. Tokyo Olympic trials continue with the day two finals in swimming on NBC at seven. Copa America Soccer is on FS1 at seven with Paraguay versus Bolivia. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one of on the line Noah Gardner and Lance. All with do, Jacob Hillman behind the controls. We only have twenty seconds left until we go into hour number two. What are you
2: watching tonight, Lance? All I know is all my money's on Bolivia tonight. <laughs> what? I don't. Okay, it was straight up. Don't know anything about like professional soccer. Nothing.
1: Well, neither of those teams are that good.
3: Well, Spain and Sweden are at halftime right now, and Spain's had the ball for eighty eighty four percent of the time. Four hundred fifty five passes to Sweden's ninety. Nine shots to three shots.
1: It's that does of, not shock me whatsoever. No. Spain has one of the most has one of the slowest offensive systems in world soccer. So and it's like Virginia basketball. It's times. like trip,
2: the triple option.
1: Yeah, and Sweden is perfectly content with just sitting back and, and playing the counterattack. So What's the score in that one? 0-0 zero, at zero, half. Makes sense. Nice. That's it for our number one of On the Line. We'll be back on the other side of this break.
0: You are on the line.
1: Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and Fox Sports Sidra, Alabama on 98.3 FM. Hard to believe we're already halfway through the Monday edition of the show. Jacob Hillman behind the board for us, keeping us up to date with a lot of the stuff going on in Super Regionals today really the only Super Regional game going on right now is Dallas Baptist Virginia which Virginia has gotten out now to a 5-2 lead as those two teams are in the eighth inning and then tonight you've got Notre Dame and Mississippi State which is going to be a very enjoyable game to watch with the way that a Notre Dame has been hitting across the series It scored eight in the first game and nine in the second game and then for the fact that the nature that it is game three of a Super Regional with two very good baseball teams right now and up to this point we have not gotten that many Game 3s as far as Super Regionals are concerned. There's been a lot of sweeps.
2: And I need this game to be a blowout. I need Mississippi State to come <laughs> out there and just For show, the sake of the flowchart. For the sake of the flowchart. For the sake of the SEC and for the sake of the fact that I just don't like Notre Dame, it, which has turned more into a joke at this point. Can, can we just see like a, like a 21-2 to type game like the Arkansas-NC State game and just see Mississippi State cruise to Omaha, please?
1: I picked the Notre Dame, and Jacob said to me at that moment when he saw it, he said, "That's a terrible pick." You would, and, you know. Now I, now I kind of need it. Now I kind of need. Now I kind of need Notre Dame to win, just for just for you know going. <laughs>
3: I will be honest. I'm not. I'm shocked that they won that game the way they did yesterday, but I still think that Mississippi State's going to cruise tonight.
1: I would imagine, I think I'm sitting in that in that area now, but they, Notre Dame has made it all the way to game three, and this is where pitching staffs get depleted, and the team that can hit better, you kind of have to wonder, does the fact that it's gone to game three benefit the team that is substantially a better hitting team? And Notre Dame has proven that. You you cannot deny Notre Dame has hit the best stuff that Mississippi State has to offer at this point. Uh, you can't deny Notre Dame's a great, great team at the plate. We had questions about that going into this series, but now they have hit one of the best pitching staffs in the country.
2: It's going to be interesting to see. Uh, You know, I, I really, I'm not like totally emotionally invested in this but I would be really upset to see Mississippi State lose it's going to be interesting to see this football season how we all react after what could potentially be like an Auburn loss like midway through the season how we're all going to come in on Monday and how interesting that that show is going to be but on
1: the other side of this though if Mississippi State doesn't advance you only have two teams in Omaha from the SEC and that's going to give Pac-12, Big 12, and ACC teams ammunition to be like, see, the SEC's not that good. LSU didn't deserve to be in. Really? <laughs> that, that uh, There's been a lot of that going around about LSU being in. If you wander yeah, into yeah. college baseball Twitter, a lot of Pac-12 teams were like, LSU didn't deserve to be in, which I don't think they deserved to be in either, but they showed out when they got in.
2: They made it they out made of it one. Count. Yeah, they That's made right. it out of one regional. That's all that matters. SEC, boys, can we get a chant going? I'm kidding.
1: <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'll do it. SEC, no. SEC.
2: I... <laughs> I deny
1: it.
3: No. Why? I no. Conference pride is dumb.
1: That's fair. In football, people ask me, like, uh, SEC's playing the national championship. Why aren't you rooting for him? And, like, you know, there, there's always that joke that Satan's in the Bible. You don't root for him. <laughs> I,
3: I do think that having in a, being in a better conference helps each team individually. But I don't think it helps enough where you should be super outgoing about loving
2: a team
1: yeah I mean look at Clemson the ACC is not very good outside of Clemson and Clemson's doing just fine
2: so during that that playoff semifinal against Notre Dame and Alabama you were pulling for Notre Dame to make it to the national championship
1: yes you heard it here
2: wow you were pulling for <laughs> Ohio State in the national championship I really was, I really, game I was I was pulling for Fields. see but-
1: I'll say this though I love Najee Harris and it stinks as a Cleveland Browns fan, and I'll remind everybody of this, it stinks as a Cleveland Browns fan that he plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers because this guy is going to set the NFL on fire. He's, he is the best running back to have played at Alabama under Nick Saban and one of the best running backs to have ever played at Alabama all time. And he's going to show that at the next level, and I think he already showed that with his season last year at Alabama. I was hoping for a good football game. I didn't want to see Notre Dame get destroyed because I'm tired of watching – College football playoff games end in destruction – but I I do like me some some Najee Harris. I was
2: reading a Bleacher Report article the other day, and I, I saw you know he he's at camp right now and he's practicing with his guys, and I saw you know they were asking him how he feels about this offense and the, the transition from the the college game to the pro game, and, and he said you know he's just out there and he's focused and he's having fun, and you know we could see him as the NFL MVP at the end of this season. I'm kidding. And, and,
1: and something that was actually said though, there is a coach for the Pittsburgh Steelers that was quoted as saying. Sometimes he has to tell Najee Harris, man, I've got to go home because he stays for hours after practice right now at this time of year. Najee Harris is serious, man. We are going to be talking about him as a top-tier running back in the NFL after this season. It, It is not going to take long. You talk about one of the teams in the NFL that, A, is committed to a running game, first of all, instead of a passing game first. The Pittsburgh Steelers have to be at this point because of, the longevity of Ben Roethlisberger and the Noodle fact arm. that he is I don't know if it's gotten to that point but it's it's definitely deteriorating quickly it was
2: really bad like it was it was good to start last season and then as the season progressed it very quickly went to oh no
1: just doesn't have a lot of tread left on his tires and Najee Harris is coming in you look at the previous running backs James Conner was successful you go before that you see what Le'Veon Bell has done Pittsburgh has a really good history with their scheme making running backs successful and Najee Harris is coming in right now, not having taken a lot of hits, having had a pretty easy collegiate career, and I don't mean that against him in any way in terms of what he's done in working out and how hard he's worked. I'm just saying he, he did run behind an Alabama offensive line that's a whole lot easier to do than running behind a South Carolina offensive line or anything like that. That's all I'm saying. He's got more tread on his tires than – Kevin Harris maybe when he comes out right Right. because Kevin Harris is taking a lot of physical punishment whereas Najee Harris was able to avoid more of that than the average running back probably by virtue of where he was playing
2: at and whenever he did have to make a guy miss he would simply just jump over them you saw that in the Notre Dame game
1: and Harris really hasn't dealt with a lot of injuries up to this point or or really any I mean he's going to the next level pretty fresh and he's going to a Pittsburgh Steelers team that is going to have to rely on him. James Conner is no longer in Pittsburgh. What do they have? Benny Snell, who also a, a, a favorite of mine. They have Benny Snell and Najee Harris, two great SEC running backs in their own right. And Benny Snell will be number 2 on the depth chart. It's going to be Najee Harris. And he's going to explode this upcoming season in the NFL.
2: I think so. I think so. He and was, it's his
1: versatility. Right. Like they can throw to him out of the backfield. They can get him involved in different ways. He's a much larger version of Christian McCaffrey I'll go I'll go ahead I'll say this hot take because Najee Harris will stay healthy at the next level because he's so much larger than Christian McCaffrey I I I think he he moves into that top tier maybe even ahead of Christian McCaffrey after this upcoming season with the way we're talking about him going into his sophomore season
2: I was going to say he's a better version of Le'Veon Bell because Le'Veon Bell was able to do those things and he was able to be patient he was able to have explosive runs and catch the ball out of the backfield but Najee Harris just seems to have a lot more power behind his runs and he's he's able to he's able to just release quicker and he's be he's able to get past the line of scrimmage quicker he, he's versatile he's able to be he's able to be that pass catching back but man he's got some he's got some power to him
1: and McCaffrey right now is being utilized so much he's special and, and we'll talk about this later in the show we're gonna talk about the best players of the 2000s to ever win a Heisman and then discuss should some of these guys have won and we will talk about Christian McCaffrey later in the show And Christian McCaffrey's special. This is not a knock on Christian McCaffrey. This is more of me talking up Najee Harris as a running back. The reason why I bring Christian McCaffrey into the discussion, I, I know they're completely different players. McCaffrey is a lot smaller of a running back. He's a lot more finesse, but he's also had to deal with a lot of punishment in the Carolina Panthers system because they have focused solely on Christian McCaffrey, and that is why he has dealt with so much injury at the next level, Najee Harris though was going to a place where it's not going to necessarily be all about him. I, I think it is going to be centered around him, and they're going to utilize him probably more than the average running back in the NFL. And they should because he's a special talent. And they're dealing once again, as you put it, noodle arm with Big Ben. They're going to have to, but I don't think it's going to be as much of a degree as Christian McCaffrey because there are actually other good supporting weapons in the Pittsburgh offense like Juju Smith-Schuster, like Chase Claypool, there are actually receivers at Pittsburgh that can take some of the heat off of Big Ben, throwing the ball to them. They've got other playmakers on the opposite side of the ball than they do in Carolina. So it's not going to be necessarily just all about Najee Harris. That's going to allow him to flourish. It's his versatility. People that Running backs that big, that powerful, typically don't display... The finesse and the ability to catch the ball out of the backfield with as much ease as he does, and the ability to play out in space, just generally the ability to hurdle over human beings that are six feet tall. They don't. They don't show. The, they don't show that ability.
2: Yeah, I, I wonder what the, the quarterback situation is going to look like for Pittsburgh moving forward because this could be Big Ben's last year and if they, don't, if they don't go after a guy in the trade market, if they don't get somebody that has some NFL experience, if they opt to go for a rookie or draft somebody and put some stock in him, they're going to have to rely on Harris in year two to be able to actually to get them going offensively. So you could be right. We could be looking two, three years down the line and he could be one of the best, if not the best running back in the NFL overall
1: guys help me out here did pittsburgh take a quarterback in this previous draft
2: i don't think so and if they did it wasn't high yeah i don't think they did
3: either because it was a big thing about are they going to do it and i don't think they did
1: and that was a foolish uh, that was a foolish decision because I big ben I, I don't see how there were that we thought that he may have played his last game after they lost back to back to cleveland at the end of the year and after they lost to the playoffs and the way that they did it. We thought that that was it.
2: They didn't take one.
1: And, and you and you look at him sitting on the bench in that game after they lost to the Browns, and it, there was him, what was Claypool, sitting next to him. I can't remember all the players that were sitting around him, but Big Ben's just sitting there staring off into space, and you're like, that guy's... And I think even one of the commentators of the game suggested, they're like, oh, you wonder what he's thinking about right now.
2: Yeah, they took the Pitt State tight end in round two, they took a guard in round three. They took a, an, an offensive tackle in round four, a linebacker. But in the offseason, they
1: did acquire Dwayne Haskins.
2: They did acquire Dwayne Haskins, who Big Ben is hyping up to be the greatest NFL quarterback of all time, just based off of what I've heard and seen from quotes. <laughs> like Literally, he's like, man, I've never seen anybody that can throw a football like that. And I'm like, yeah, throw it into the defender's hands this is what is going to happen <laughs> if they if you start Haskins this year. So they need help.
1: Do we believe that Haskins can develop into the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers offense? Have we seen enough of that yet? I don't think we saw enough of him in college to suggest that this guy was a starter in the league.
2: I don't think he's going to be able to make it at the next level and be be a starter. I don't I don't see it. It
1: takes a lot for Ron Rivera to move on from you. Let's just be honest. He stuck around with Cam for forever. He had his guys in Carolina even after Cam on the roster. I mean, I think back to Kyle Allen. And now look at the fact that Kyle Allen is in Washington with Ron Rivera. He has his select group of players that he really likes and believes in. It takes a lot for him to move on from you. And Dwayne Haskins was out in a year.
2: From what I understand, I, I back in the day, like whenever Haskins was at Ohio State, I watched a lot of tape on him and watched a lot of analysis, and there were a lot of mechanical issues as far as his release and his throwing motion, and I don't think th- those have gotten better in the NFL. Couple that with the fact that I don't think he's – I'm not saying he's dumb. I'm just saying IQ-wise, I don't think he's on the level of an NFL starter like like a legitimate one. I don't think he's going to be able to carry that out and be able to read defenses and be able to play at that at that next level consistently well so I I don't think that Pittsburgh has got their their next guy in Haskins
1: so I made this comment while I was watching Cleveland take on the Bengals in week two and it it got to about the third quarter and it was a Thursday night game it got to about the third quarter and I saw Joe Burrow you know killing the Browns by virtue of a thousand cuts and I thought to myself I was like I would not be shocked if in like three years the Steelers were the worst team in the AFC North with their quarterback situation looking like the way it does right now. Then, of course, we saw the Steelers last year, you know, going on a stretch of of like, what, nine or ten games undefeated. And then everything blew up at the end, right? Which kind of makes you think, well, what were they in those first ten games? Were they just fortunate to have gotten past some of these teams through their first ten, twelve, undefeated, whatever they did? Because the way that they ended the year was not pretty. Mm. And it's like, is that does that trend carry into this football season this year
3: i think it was the easy schedule that they had early on i agree they were playing the nfc east that i think the afc north was smashed up with the nfc east that was true that's part of it
1: the browns amongst if you're looking at last year's win percentages added on to this year's schedule the browns have the easiest schedule of all afc north teams the steelers are up there in like the top three toughest schedules in the nfl and so my question is does what we saw at the end of last year carry into the beginning of the 2021 football season and it's very possible and so I would not be shocked if this is the beginning of the descent of the Pittsburgh Steelers organization if they can't figure out the quarterback position quickly but there is something to note Pittsburgh has to be an attractive spot for a free agent quarterback right
2: I think it has to because they have a really good defense. They've got pieces on that offense. Again, you've got really talented receivers. You now have Najee Harris, who is probably going to be a breakout star, just based on what we saw in college, as long as he stays healthy. If they can get a quarterback, then they're going to be in good shape because that defense will hold their own. But I just don't, I just don't know where that's going to come from right now.
1: It may not be this year for Najee Harris. And, and for folks wondering why we're talking about the Steelers so much, this conversation began talking about Najee Harris's role in the Alabama or excuse me in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense this upcoming year it may not begin this season because Big Ben is still there and even if Big Ben gets hurt Dwayne Haskins is not the worst backup in the world right he can still get he can still get the football to his receivers and so this may not be the worst situation in the world for Pittsburgh this year but I would not be shocked year two year three I'll say more so year two. It's going to start becoming more about Najee Harris and the Pittsburgh Steelers offense than it is about these receivers and whatnot. Because these receivers are not going to stick around for forever. They're gonna they're gonna as this passing game continues to deteriorate, they're not going to stick around.
2: Who, if 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 the Steelers were to go after a quarterback in the twenty twenty two NFL draft? Who would they go after that they could get late first round that wouldn't be a guy like Sam Howell that would that's probably going I don't know top fifteen?
1: It's a good quarterback class this year, and I can see it spread out enough with as many teams as took quarterback this past year. I could see it spread out enough where you could get something good value at the end of the first round. Mm-hmm. Like I you know, and I don't even know if I mean You know, you think about the class this year, you got Sam Howell, you got Keaton Slovis. There's some really good names
2: Malik Willis out
1: there. Yeah. Malik Willis is someone that's being, you know, regarded as a high first round draft pick. I mean, there's enough names at this year's quarterback class where you might get someone good value at the end of the first round. I bring up Keaton Slovis, but it's still so early in the draft cycle and evaluation. Teams aren't even, I mean, there, there's no information out there about that. I mean, it's just a shot in the dark right now.
2: My point being, that could be another interesting prospect, but my my point being is the quarterback situation in the future is uncertain because I don't know who they're going to get from, from free agency, at least not right now. And the two quarterbacks that they have on roster are not the answer because one of them has a noodle arm and the other one has shown in his limited time in the NFL that he can't be a really good starter. We're going to head
1: to the phone lines now. We've got a caller on the line with us, 334-321-1390. That's how you can get through to on the line. we got Matt on with us on this Monday. Matt, how you doing today, my man?
4: Good, guys. So you really think Dwayne Haskins, with maybe one year under his belt and an organization that has been really good, is not the answer to this first year. consistent over these years where the Jets hit the reset button every two years. The Browns, before Baker Mayfield hit the reset button every two years. You don't think that they can take Dwayne Haskins, which was a first-round pick, and make him into something
0: good?
1: I didn't say that they couldn't. I'm just erring on the side from what we've seen so far that it's not going to happen, that with this great quarterback class coming up, with guys that are a little bit, that have some better passing tendencies, especially with their mechanics and whatnot and their decision-making, this is a good quarterback class coming up. I could see the Steelers say, hey, we really need a quarterback, but then again, they have been pretty averse to taking QBs in the in the NFL draft over the years you just I I, their quarterback situation has befuddled me I would have thought that they would have gone quarterback by now knowing that Big Ben's end is coming soon rather than look at a guy that has shown some decision making issues has shown some passing mechanic issues he hasn't shown us a whole lot to tell us that he is going to be a top 12 top 13 quarterback in the NFL which the Pittsburgh Steelers' expectations, right, are, are to compete for Super Bowls and, and win their division. And I don't know if Dwayne Haskins, on a consistent basis, at least from what we've seen so far, can do that for them.
4: Well, we haven't seen much. We've seen maybe like a season.
1: If not. That's true. And I'm also thinking back to where he was at in Ohio State, and I wasn't super pumped up about Dwayne Haskins coming out of college either. And he came out of a relatively weak quarterback class as well which is probably a big reason why we saw him drafted so high in the first round I think I think a big part of why folks drafted him in the first round maybe had a lot to do with his measurables guy's got a cannon for an arm he's a big guy he's tall guy show some athleticism there's definitely things there for teams to work with I'm not saying that he's got no potential right he's got potential and that's what you're seeing too you see it with his with his measurables and he looks the part he looks like a quarterback And I've even seen stuff out there, people calling out his work ethic and whatnot in Washington. And I go back to what I said in this segment earlier about Ron Rivera. It takes a lot for Ron Rivera to move on from somebody, right, considering how long he's held on to his quarterbacks at every stop that he's been at. So I'm wondering what Washington saw that made them move on from him so quickly with a coach that we have to trust considering his track record in the NFL and he's been able to get the most out of every stop that he's been at. It kind of makes me wonder what they saw in Dwayne Haskins that said, ah, we, we don't really want him. But also, what also could be said is, what has Pittsburgh saw in, in contrast to that that made them want him so much, you know?
4: I think that Washington saw the immaturity, because he was he's originally from Washington, D.C., where he went to high school. And I mean, you still, I mean, when I was like in my I did some pretty uh, dumb stuff. And I'm sure that some of his friends were still around, and he, he probably was, at home and comfortable and he didn't really have a work ethic because he was, he was where he grew up and I'm sure like the talent you said the measurables I mean he's got a lot of talent I'm sure that he was a first round pick and I'm sure the Pittsburgh Steelers saw that and were like hey we could get a steal right here maybe I mean maybe it doesn't turn out but maybe it does
1: Yep. Yeah. and and I, I don't disagree with that I'm not ready to write the dude off yet either he hasn't played hardly at all in the NFL I got a question for you Matt before I let you go can you rank the, the four teams in the AFC North. I'm I, are you what who who's your favorite NFL team first? I am gonna assume you're a Pittsburgh Steelers fan.
4: Uh I don't have a favorite NFL team. I've followed Cam Newton a little bit. Um I like smaller market teams, but um so if I were to rank them, let's see
1: just in the AFC North
4: Cleveland 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 first Ravens Pittsburgh Bengals.
1: Okay. So you like? I like that hot take. As a Browns fan, I love the fact that you said Baker more than, uh, than Lamar Jackson, right? <laughs> but still,
4: well, I feel like they got more weapons. I mean, they've. I mean, especially with getting Odell back and adding Anthony um, Schwartz
1: and Auburn. yeah, I'm excited to see what Schwartz can do. He'll probably be used as a as a gadget player this year, just considering he's fourth on the depth chart, probably coming out of camp. If he can, if he can even get into that point, because he might even be fifth, considering Donovan Peoples Jones and. Uh, Rashard Higgins are two guys coming back for Cleveland but I'm with you it, they they definitely have the weapons and I wonder how teams are adjusting to Lamar Jackson right now and if teams are beginning to figure out that side of the football they haven't figured it out for two years maybe year three is the trick why why Pittsburgh quarterback situation over the Bengals you know high up on Joe Burrow
4: well I mean I disagree with their first pick in this past draft I would have taken the tackle over Jamar Chase I mean another know chemistry there But he just got hurt and had an ACL. I mean, the best ability is availability. And if you don't have your future superstar looking like quarterback available, then how good is your team going to
2: be? Right.
1: That's an excellent point. And I completely agree with you on that. I think they should have gone with Panay Sewell as well instead of Jamar Chase because they've got some skill position players. Joe Burrow showed the ability when he was healthy last year to get the ball to his receivers, no matter if they were superstars or not. He got the ball to them. Their offense was actually pretty lucrative and efficient when he was on the field but the thing is if he's not available then he's he's he can't help you right and he's coming off of an injury and his body's going to be weaker than it was before he had that injury you're going to have to try and find a way to protect him and the Bengals offensive line did not get better so that's a good point Matt I appreciate you calling in my man don't be a stranger bud yes sir that was matt on the line with us if you want to join us number to call 334-321-1390 we're going to take a quick break here as we're running behind here in hour number two we'll be back in just a few moments
0: you are on the line with noah gardner and lance Daw. we'll be right back
1: You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Jacob Hillman behind the board with us. Only a couple of minutes here in this segment. Ran a little long on our previous one. But still, thank you for the phone call, Matt. We enjoy it. Always want to talk some NFL with folks if they ever want to call in about it. We don't talk about the NFL enough. One of my favorite. Leagues to watch across any sport.
2: NFL and the NBA are, are both in, insanely fun. They're very entertaining, and the NFL was—it's always fun. I, I like the college game better because it feels like there's a little less drama. But the NFL is always fun because it's—it's it's the professional talent, and there's always drama. So it's—it's it's, it's fun.
1: We got onto it by virtue of talking about Najee Harris and his role going into the NFL. and The hot take that I think most people will be like, "Man, that's a little bit too early to say this," but I think Najee Harris will become just as effective, if not more effective, than Christian McCaffrey in Pittsburgh going into his rookie season and then beyond as Pittsburgh begins to move on from Big Ben. Over the break, you found some statistics about Dwayne Haskins because we've been talking about the quarterback situation at Pittsburgh and how that, how that will run parallel with Najee Harris becoming more of a focal point in Pittsburgh. And these are some points to add about Dwayne Haskins and, and the Pittsburgh quarterback room not looking great moving forward.
2: Yeah, so Haskins appeared in seven games in 2020. 1,400 passing yards, five touchdowns, seven interceptions. His quarterback rating was 31 even. That's, uh, that's for, for the folks out there, that's really not good. That's not good, especially for a guy that was a backup quarterback that was put in situations where, where he, he all he had to do was manage the game. I looked at his three best know, he's statistical games. Taylor Heineke, though. <laughs> his three best statistical games I looked at, and I looked at the pass defenses he was playing against. His three best games were against Seattle, Cleveland, and Baltimore. Against Seattle, he was 38 of 55 for 295 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Seattle was the 30th worst pass defense in the NFL last season. Against Baltimore thirty two of forty five for three hundred and fourteen yards that's seventy one percent completion percentage. No touchdowns. they lost thirty one to seventeen. That is the sixth best pass defense in the NFL, but he couldn't he couldn't get them on the board. He was able to nickel and dime them nothing else against Cleveland. he lost thirty four to 20 in a game that he went twenty one of thirty seven for two hundred and twenty four yards, two touchdowns, and three interceptions. It was the only game last season where he threw more than one touchdown. And that was against the 27th worst pass defense in the country, or in the NFL.
1: I'll add this about Dwayne Haskins. I'm not ready to write him off just yet, but with all the questions about his maturity, he's going to have to improve work ethic. I know that was talked about a lot last year. He's going to have to show that he's a mature quarterback. On top of that, his measurables are actually going to have to now produce good performances. Right. He can have a cannon for an arm but he's still got to make the right decision to be accurate. So all that and more coming up on On the Line.
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back.
1: Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner lands Lansdall with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Anything that's on your mind in the sports world, we'll talk to you about it. 334-321-1390. Wrapped up that NFL conversation there about Big Ben, Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback room and how that relates to Najee Harris becoming more of a focal point in the Pittsburgh Steelers offense moving forward. Let's move on now. Promise that we'd talk about this earlier on in the show. Who's the best player of the 2000s to never win a Heisman or what are some of the best players of the 2000s to never win Heisman and of that group should any of these individuals have won the Heisman in those seasons. Should we rewrite history here? You know, just good off-season conjecture. Seen a couple articles about this. Thought, hey, this will be a fun exercise. Let's do it. Let's start off. Lance, who's
2: somebody that you got? So I have a few guys on here, and if we're going to talk about the best player to never win the Heisman, I don't want to have a whole lot of recency bias, but there's somebody on my list that I would probably go to at right now at the top. But I'll go with a different guy. That Can we
1: start at quarterback? Let's, let's take it position by position. Okay,
2: let's ta- let's take it by position. I think the best quarterback to have not won the Heisman has got to be Andrew Luck, in my opinion, in 2011. Oh, really, RG, I'm shocked you went there. RG3 won the award over him in 2011, and you you got to be able to look at their statistics, and then you got to look at the games that they played and how their season finished. Uh, and and something that you and I talked about a little bit off air was do we actually use what happened postseason and what happened after the Heisman was decided to influence our opinion I think I'm, I'm gonna try and stay away from it I'm gonna try and stay away from NFL talk but I think it's interesting to note what happened after both of those seasons you look at a guy like Andrew Luck in 2011 37 touchdowns 10 interceptions you look a guy like RG3 hang on let me pull up his statistics real quick I didn't realize I didn't even have it up good job when you look at a guy like RG3 ran a Baylor offense for a team that I believe went 10 and 4 I might be mistaken 37 touchdowns six interceptions very similar RG3 also was kind of able to get it done on the ground 699 yards 10 touchdowns a true true dual threat and I believe they blew out Washington in their bowl game. It was it was really really high octane, but in the end, I believe uh, I believe Baylor pulled away in that one. Yeah, it was sixty seven to fifty six. Baylor went yeah they did they went ten and three that season. They were nine and three heading into the postseason, and the Heisman was given to a quarterback on a three nine and three Big Twelve team that was nowhere even near consideration for the national title. What did Stanford do? Well, they went twelve and one. And their only loss was to that number 6 Oregon team, and I believe it was 30-52 to was the final score. And that was not on Andrew Luck. That was on the defense. Andrew Luck scored 30 points in that game. I think you have to look at these numbers, and you have to look at the level of competition, and you have to look at the way they finished the season. Andrew Luck, I believe, was the better overall player. He was the better overall quarterback. And you can say looking at what happened in the NFL that that's even more true. But I'm trying to stick in just the college game. At the time, I think Andrew Luck had a really strong case for the Heisman, and I think he could have won it in 2011.
1: He was also a runner-up in 2010 to Cam Newton. He was a back-to-back runner-up in college football, and he had two back-to-back seasons there at Stanford that showcased in both of those Heisman seasons, and this may be controversial, I don't care. In 2010 and 2011, Andrew Luck was the best passer in the country, but he was not the best overall player And that's why I will say Cam Newton and RG3 still deserve to win the Heisman over Andrew Luck back in 2010 and 2011. I think RG3 was still a better overall player. His ability to run the football. Now, Andrew Luck still could move a little bit. He was mobile. He showed that in college in terms of his two seasons from 2010 to 2011 or maybe his entire career at Stanford. He had 957 rushing yards. He was not a statue. He was not easily sackable, right? He could still move around a bit, but... I still look back to rg three season. And despite the fact that Baylor was not close to a national championship without RG3, where's Baylor at? There's a lot of wins added there for RG3 being at Baylor. RG3 was the best player in college football for me in 2011. With his ability to, to do all the things that he did, he was definitely flashier than Andrew Luck. And that held Andrew Luck back in both of those years. Also, this has been brought up, plays in the Pac-12. Hard for folks to watch Stanford at the time that they're on television most people just aren't paying attention out there but I still think both of those seasons definitely 2010 under Cam Newton but in 2011 that's a year where you maybe have more of an argument but I still think overall player because of what RG3 could do with his legs was more what was a better overall college football player than Andrew Luck but I would I would agree with you among all of these guys that we've got on our list
2: as far as quarterbacks yes go.
1: best quarterback to never win a Heisman in the 2000s Andrew Luck easy I don't even have to think about anybody else. Vince Young's on my list of one of the best players to never win a Heisman. But I, I still, I, I don't even, Vince Young was not anywhere near Andrew Luck for me as a passer. And although Vince Young did have the rushing ability, and he was fun to watch. I still think when I look at Andrew Luck, and yes, to a degree, I look at the NFL after for Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck has one of the most, he was one of the most pure passers since maybe we've seen you know like Peyton Manning coming out of college we were like yeah this guy's gonna work and the reason why I bring up Peyton Manning is he went to Peyton Manning's team he went to the Colts right and he made it work from the very start and if the Colts could have just protected this man and he didn't have like a lacerated spleen after every football game Andrew Luck would have had an incredible career in the NFL, but it was cut short due to injury.
2: Now, the question about whether or not he should have won the Heisman in either of those seasons, I think, I think that's, a, that's a different debate. But as far as quarterbacks go, he's the best one to never win. He shouldn't have won it in 2010, for sure. In 2011, I think you could make the argument. You have
1: a better argument in 2011.
2: But, but at the same time, it's like the guy that won it, it's, like it's not horrendous that he won the Heisman
1: let's look at running backs now this is a fun list for me and you and I are very different on this list but and I'm just going to go ahead and throw out some names LaDainian Tomlinson TCU 2000 was his year where he was an absolute stud of course he was a stud there for many seasons but where he said since the 2000s and Tomlinson did have his best year in 2000 where he had over 2100 yards college LaDainian Tomlinson is something that is often forgotten about we we remember him as this NFL legend, Hall of Famer at the running back position. Excellent Chargers running back was a big reason why the Chargers were good while he was there. But the reason why we forget about him in, his, in college was because TCU was playing in the whack back then.
2: Man, what a and, time!
1: In two thousands, whack football is whack. <laughs> That's why we don't think about LaDainian Tomlinson, but the dude was special. The, the guy was an incredible college running back, and it's kind of hard to believe. You see 2,200 rushing yards almost, 5.8 yards per carry, and 22 touchdowns. It, th- shouldn't that win you a Heisman?
2: It should, statistically looking at it. And I know, again, like they're not playing against the best competition in the world in the WAC, but still. So
1: get this. In his Heisman year, Josh Heupel, current Tennessee head football coach, quarterback at Oklahoma at the time, Got more votes than LaDanian Tomlinson on a year where he had 20 touchdowns to 15 interceptions. Solid. <laughs> You're telling me that folks voted, and also Drew Brees got more votes than LaDanian Tomlinson at the time, which I didn't look at Drew Brees' numbers. I just still saw 2,200 rushing yards, and I was like, uh, I don't know how LaDanian Tomlinson did not get closer. Of course, the, the Heisman winner in 2000 was Chris Weinke of Florida State, who did take FSU to the Natty. He had more than 4,000 passing yards and 30 touchdowns back then in 2000. With the game being so different for a quarterback to throw for more than 4,000 yards, people were probably just like, oh my goodness.
2: What is going on?
1: Exactly. And I think he had like 33 touchdowns, and like 10, 10 interceptions or something like that, or 11 picks. So, Winky deserved to win it at 2,000, but LaDamian Thomason is, is somebody that was, is forgotten about too often. Derrick McFadden, Arkansas 07, didn't deserve to win it over Tim Tebow, but Derrick McFadden, one of the most fun players in college football, fun statistic here a fun fact here about Derek McFadden he's got a better overall completion percentage career completion percentage than Bo Nix six for 11 passing 123 yards and four touchdowns in his 2007 Heisman campaign
2: I believe collectively he threw for seven touchdowns and one interception over his course and at a 63% Arkansas sixty-three
1: percent completion percentage that's they had solid. this dude tossing it around like once a game
2: that's pretty solid that's pretty solid Nix Take notes. I'm kidding. I'm <laughs> joking. I'm joking. But I, I, as far as running back goes, I do have Derek McFadden as the best player from the running back position to never win the Heisman. The guy that won it in 2006 in front of him was Troy Smith. And I have some interesting notes really quick on Troy Smith. Again, I'm not debating on whether or not these guys should have won it more so than they were the best player at their position to never win it. Troy Smith was not in the top 15 in the country in completion percentage, completions, passing yards, or yards per attempt. He was tied 7th for passing touchdowns, and he was 8th in quarterback efficiency. He led his team to a national title appearance, but still, what McFadden did in those two years at Arkansas, at three years collectively, were insane. He ran for 4,500 yards in three seasons. He had 41 rushing touchdowns, 43 overall, and then he had those seven passing touchdowns. This man was insane
1: don't forget about what he did in the out of the backfield catching the football too
2: that's right that's right uh, th- those two receiving touchdowns he had 365 yards receiving so 43 total rush or 43 total touchdowns from scrimmage he averaged 5.9 yards per attempt and that was actually not in the top 20 but still he was the focal point of this Arkansas offense that ran behind him and he led them to a 10 and 4 season I believe
1: this is where wild hog was invented right, right.
2: like you think about at
1: that time Arkansas's quarterback situation was so bad they wanted their running back to play quarterback
2: right right we we were talking earlier off air about the the Arkansas quarterback situation and I looked in 2006 and 2007 I don't believe they had a quarterback throw for more than 10 touchdowns either year it was it was abysmal it was really really bad no quarterback that like legitimately had playing time through, had a better completion percentage than I think it was 52.3
1: I probably I think I have Darren McFadden third on my list of this group because I, I think LT's one season in 2000 just was absurd. And LT had the better career than Darren McFadden did. But once again, it was at TCU in the WAC, so weigh that for what you will. But LT proved it in the NFL too. So I think that adds, looking back, some legitimacy to what he did in college rather than just saying, oh, this dude was at TCU in the WAC. You know? But Darren McFadden is probably third on the list. My number one running back to have never won the Heisman in the 2000s christian mccaffrey stanford 2015 and he doesn't have the touchdown numbers and sure you can say well he was used all the time all they did that's all they had all like that that they, they, he touched the ball a million times which is true in 2015 he had 2019 yards rushing 45 catches for 645 yards only 13 total touchdowns across those two average six yards per carry despite the volume he still averaged six yards per carry and had a substantially high for a running back just yards per reception he was extremely efficient everybody knew who was getting the football he's one of the smaller players at the position not only at the NFL but also in college football his versatility exceeds that of Ladanian Tomlinson and Darren McFadden in college because of the sheer volume of his receiving numbers and he was unstoppable, virtually untackable, at Stanford at that time. And all they did was, was line it up and run the football. They were not throwing the ball well back then. All they did was line it up and run the football. So for me, his versatility, Christian McCaffrey, I just remember back to that one season in 2015. The next year in 2016, he was not nearly as good. But in 2015, that Derrick Henry year where Derrick Henry won the Heisman, which Derrick Henry deserved to win it. I'm not saying that Christian McCaffrey deserved to win the Heisman that season. The touchdown, The touchdown numbers keep him from that but Christian McCaffrey is quite a a unique running back in college football
2: based on your projections with Najee Harris earlier do you think that Najee Harris is more deserving at all uh, of potentially winning a Heisman uh, in in his 2020 season because you look at Najee Harris's numbers and uh he in his uh in his junior and senior seasons had some some really really good games in that in that senior season 30 touchdowns
1: so quite a different situation here for Najee Harris right in his senior season where I think he had his best year and and, and, sh- and, and I wonder what it looks like in a 12 game year I wonder what Najee Harris looks like if there weren't four first round wide receivers on his football team at one point right mm-hmm. because this season he was not the focal point of the Bama offense the focal point of the Bama offense was Matt Jones and the Alabama receivers whether it was Devontae Smith Jalen Waddell, John Mechie. It was that. They wanted to throw the football and he still found a way to amount 1,466 yards on 5.8 yards per touch. 43 catches, 425 yards receiving, which is comparable to Christian McCaffrey. Not as good of a yards per reception there, but still he got 43 receptions compared to Christian McCaffrey's 45. Total touchdowns from scrimmage, 30 this season. 26 rushing touchdowns and four TDs receiving once again so like the touchdown numbers from Najee Harris are absurd and if it wasn't for the fact that Devontae Smith had a career year, Trevor Lawrence had an exceptional season and Matt Jones had an exceptional season I think Najee Harris if it, th- this may have been one of the deepest Heisman ceremonies we've ever had I, and I think that's just arm talent and passing ability between Tua Tungavaloa and Trevor Lawrence It doesn't get much better than those two quarterbacks as far as their passing ability is concerned. But then you can talk about the skill positions. Devontae Smith's one of the best collegiate receivers we've seen in the 2000s. He was actually someone that was able to win the Heisman at receiver. That doesn't happen too often. But Najee Harris, for some reason, and maybe it had to do with the yards, being only at like 1,400, was not talked about enough for what he was able to do. Still 26 touchdowns. Yep. Rushing good gracious
2: that's insane he collectively has 26 more touchdowns overall than McCaffrey did in his time at Stanford
1: the yards edge it for me for Christian McCaffrey and the fact that he was used so much the volume helps him get to the to the 2,000 rush yards right but I can only go off of what we've seen in college and although I think and we've talked about Christian McCaffrey versus Najee Harris and how more powerful and a bigger Najee Harris definitely kind of like it's it's a it's what Christian McCaffrey would look like if he had Najee Harris's body, right? right. Like, it's, it's the Christian McCaffrey archetype, but with power. And so I, I, I definitely favor that a lot out of Najee Harris, but he was not used enough for me to consider him the best player overall at running back to have not have won a Heisen in the 2000s. We're running out of time now. We're going to have to head to a quick break. But when we come back, we'll tell you about receiver and defense. We'll wrap up the show. On the other side of this break, you're listening to On the Line.
0: On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7.
1: Wrapping up the Monday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Before we wrap it up, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Some movie selections for this evening. Shooter is on AMC at 7. Superhero movie with Spider-Man Homecoming on FX at 7. Melissa McCarthy stars in Spy on FX Movies at 6.40. Rom-com with He's Just Not That Into You on Pop TV at 7. And live sports, two NBA playoff games are on TNT. After stealing game one in Philadelphia, the Atlanta Hawks have fallen behind 2-1 in the series. Game four is in Atlanta as the Hawks and the 76ers square off at 6.30. The Utah Jazz are up 2-1 of the los angeles clippers as they go to game four on at nine and then nhl playoff since game one of the stanley cup semifinals between the montreal canadians and the vegas golden knights at eight on nbcsn and the mlb the chicago cubs and the new york mets play at six on espn the u.s tokyo olympic trials continue with the day two finals in swimming on nbc at seven copa america soccer is on fs1 at seven with paraguay versus bolivia i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight. Back on On the Line, Noel Garner and Lansdahl with you, talking about the best players since 2000 to never win a Heisman. We've gone through quarterback. We've gone through running back. I've settled on, as far as quarterback, or both of us settled on Andrew Luck being the best quarterback since 2000 and never won Heisman. And then at running back, you went Darren McFadden. I went Christian McCaffrey. Now on to wide receiver. and I think, well, who do you have at this one? I don't know if we have the same one. I, I think we do.
2: I think we Larry do. Fitzgerald? Fitzgerald. Pittsburgh. Yeah, Love it's it. got to be Fitzgerald. You look at what he did in 2003, 1600 receiving yards 22 touchdowns 18.1 yards per reception in 2003 this man was a monster
1: and he kind of did it back-to-back seasons as well now his best year once again was in 03 1672 receiving yards 92 receptions 22 touchdowns as far as receiving numbers are concerned devontae smith who won the heisman this past year Had about 20 more catches. I think he had 25 more catches, maybe. He had 117 receptions this past year. And that's to Larry Fitzgerald's 92. So he had 25 more catches to get to about, what, 1,800 yards for Devontae Smith this past year. And still comparable touchdown numbers, right? And Larry Fitzgerald only had like 200 less receiving yards on 25 less catches. So if you're averaging at the clip that Larry Fitzgerald was, if you had as many receptions as Devontae Smith, then you get there. Does Devonte Smith win the Heisman this year? If Jalen Waddle is healthy, no, no, he does not. Mac Jones probably wins the Heisman, or Trevor Lawrence. I would say more so.
2: You don't think Najee Harris was in the conversation at all?
1: No, because if Jalen Waddle is even healthy, that's another guy who takes away from
2: Oof, from. Yeah. That's another
1: guy who even takes away from from yeah. Najee Harris. So I look at it and say Mac Jones or Trevor Lawrence wins it. Probably Mac Jones wins the Heisman this year if Jalen Waddle is healthy. And Jalen Waddle was a jack of all trades. You know, utility man as well at wide receiver. There's a lot of different things that he could do with his versatility. He's the most versatile player in college football, and that's a big reason why Jalen Waddle even got drafted before Devonte Smith did. Larry Fitzgerald had a Devonte Smith like season before it was cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, and, and 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 Fitz did it in such a different fashion. I mean, he was so physical. Just it's just a completely different play style than Smith. Obviously, they both had the route running down, but but Fitzgerald, man, he was a man amongst boys out there, and you could probably say the same thing at least from a statistical standpoint about Smith. But like you look at him, only six feet tall, one hundred and seventy five, one hundred and eighty pounds max. Like it was he was he was flashy in the way that he did it. He was he was incredible to watch.
1: Defensive side of the ball, there were a couple guys that got on the ballot, and Dama Sue at Nebraska, the defensive tackle teron matthew did it in 2011 at lsu and then you had man titeo of course notre dame linebacker did it and i can't remember uh, i think that was 2012 the yes. year after that Jabril peppers may have even gotten to a, uh, a ceremony as well back in like 2015 so of that group the guy that i'll go with and i know you don't really have an opinion on this one the guy i'm going with is tron matthew the statistics may not speak to it but if there's a defensive guy on the list who would score you a point or, or like could change the game in different ways teron matthew did it on special teams jabril peppers did he just wasn't as effective as Teron matthews Teron matthew's right. a big part of lsu going that far that year
2: stats weren't there but he was still probably the best defensive player to never win one
1: that's it for the monday edition of on the line the drive of bill cameron and dan peck following gus we'll see you tomorrow same time same place you know where to find us